I'm sorry, but that to me is corruption. They're not happy that we know this. After the gold rush, our rural Ireland has been selected as a green sacrifice zone by the global mining industry and Irish government and what local communities are doing about it. Episode 3. Tell the locals nothing. Does the Irish state have a silent policy to give as little information as possible to Irish communities and local councils about planned mining activities in their area? The intention is to get the mining companies legally protected and embedded in the local area to such an extent that the local community cannot do anything about it. This silent policy takes the view that a local community will not be happy with mining and that this decision must be forced on them for the greater good of the country and economy. Without collaboration or agreement, local communities will be selected as green sacrifice zones. Anthony McNulty and his community in Wicklow are not having this. Anthony is 47 with an eight-year-old son. He was born and raised in Castle Comer, County Kilkenny, a major coal mining area. His late uncle, Jimmy McKay, was the mine manager for one of the mines in Castle Comer and then in the infamous Silver Mines, County Tipperary. Anthony has lived in Park Ridge, County Wicklow for 18 years and runs his own home maintenance and repairs company. He has recently qualified as a master medical herbalist. He loves the outdoors and is very active in his community. Anthony starts off with an extraordinary, unbelievable story of deliberate state deception. A neighbour came to me and said to me, there's lights up on the hill. And I said, it's probably the forestry guys up there, Quilche. They're probably up there cutting because they work late. And he said, no, I don't see anyone from Quilche up there. I don't see any Quilche equipment going up there. I said, right, okay. I said, I'll go up and have a look. So I went up and had a look. And here I found all this prospecting equipment. And later on, when I had meetings with the geologist and, uh, you know, I said to him, why were you working up at night? And he said, well, when we were given the, the license, the prospecting license by the official, we were told to move everything in at night, move everything out at night and to do your best to keep the locals out of it. And like I was flabbergasted, as were the people who were witness to him saying that. Like we all looked at each other going, what the hell? These are our government officials who are supposed to look after us, who are supposed to play fair. And, you know, I'm sorry, but that to me is corruption we can't find out any information at this point in time about what processes they will actually employ or they they intend to employ and you can be damn sure that whatever process they want to employ it will be the cheapest and the easiest and the most cost effective in my community uh, an area called Moilesha it's a rural area very much rural area in the the west of County Wicklow. The hill is adjacent to a walk called, an international walk called the Wicklow Way. It's the first international walk in the world, first recognised. 
on the top of the hill there is a wedge tomb it's uh, the only type the only wedge tomb of its type in south leinster it's a very beautiful area we have a huge amount of biodiversity up there and uh, just during the summer there was a girl up there and she was measuring the amount of butterflies and, and day flying moths that are up there and not and then she was back up in the nighttime saying night night flying moths and she was saying there was a huge huge variety and some very very rare species we also have frogs foxes barn owls buzzards there was plover seen up there we've got uh pheasant we've a lot of um badgers and red squirrel as well red squirrel is endangered also on the hill is an aquifer during the summer there were guys up there as part of the, the geological survey that they were doing and uh, they had this uh, ground penetrating radar sled that they were pulling across the ground i was up there and i looked at it and at one spot that they were in there were 50 meters of water underneath our feet now that's quite significant because Summers are getting drier. There would be no uh, water services in the roads around service, serving our houses. So what we would have in the area would be water wells, which are deep wells drilled down into the, into the ground and they would take out the groundwater. And we would use that groundwater for our homes and for our farms. And this aquifer on top of the hill, it acts like a storage tank. During the winter, it fills up and then during the summer, it discharges in dry spells, it discharges and it discharges into the groundwater, which is the supply then for our water wells in the area. So if anyone goes digging into that and they start to affect that water in any way, we are risking not just the quality, but the quantity and the volume of that water because we don't know what would happen to our wells if the aquifer gets disturbed. It's a very significant thing for our area. And, you know, even with the drilling down and the prospecting, we were assured that the prospectors would take every, every precaution in relation to the drilling through the aquifer and drilling down into it. They were gone for months and I went up and there were the um, pipes into the ground not sealed up. So pathogens could have gotten into the, into the, because basically it's, it's a sealed thing. They could have gotten into the, the aquifer and damaged the aquifer. Uh, through these holes that they should have sealed immediately after they'd taken their core samples. And it wasn't until months, literally months later, that they arrived up to seal the drill holes. Lithium is the mineral they found in the, the ground up there. And basically we're being told lithium is the, the key element for renewables. What really annoys us is lithium is being held out as the only game in town. And it's not. I wonder really why this is this is so, because mining is expensive, but mining is lucrative. The more valuable an element is in the ground, a mineral or an element, the more valuable it is, the more lucrative that mining becomes. What's happened here is we have driven a demand without ramping up the recycling for the used product. And in fact, I was only just reading this evening um, before I came on uh, which, which you hear, Jerry, that Apple AirPods, which is our AirPods, the uh, little earphones you get from Apple, they're not able to be recycled. They have lithium ion batteries in them, but they're so compact and they're so tightly designed that they're not able to recycle them. This is a problem with a lot of devices now. They're being made small and they're being made so small that it's extremely difficult. The, the capture rate is not very good. 
on these items when they recycle them. So they end up going to landfill. The lithium demand has been driven by laziness. And this is about businesses furthering their own interests by creating a hype in the market. One of the geologists I met the other day, he said, we need this lithium to clean up inner cities. And I said, do you realize what you're saying? You're cleaning up the air quality in inner cities by destroying the air quality and the visual amenity and the biodiversity and the water of a pristine Irish environment. The risks to our water, the risks to our biodiversity, the risks to our farmland are just unbearable. They're just, un, un, you just couldn't, it, it's unconscionable. You couldn't think about it. And we have frogs up there, which I mentioned. And those frogs are in wet areas, which are fed from streams that come from the aquifer where it rises. Once the aquifer gets damaged and it begins to be drained, um, because they'll need to drain it to get down through it, the risk to our water wells is just, it, it has to be 100% because all of the groundwater is connected to an aquifer in the area. So our wells are going to dry up. So now we've got a community and we've got farms without water. The tourism is going to be affected because tourists are not going to want to be sharing roads on an international walking trail with rigid trucks or articulated trucks hauling equipment and or to and from a site. And then the wildlife are going to move away. We also have surface streams which have endangered pearl mussel. They live only in pristine waters. And if they get any silt or any kind of contaminant at all, they're gone. They're, that's it. They take 100 years to recover. We will be told, as we're already being told, mining is a very different game now as it was two years ago. There are so many checks and balances. You know, there are so many safeguards in place the risks to the environment are minimal. Well, I'm sorry, but I have seen mines that have worked to the standards that the EPA and the government lay down and nobody in authority will recognise or will acknowledge that huge damage has been done. Huge damage is being done, even though the mines have been shut down and nobody will ever recognise the fact that the government turned a blind eye while damage was being done and they didn't challenge these guys because it was a jobs and taxation far and above ecology and the environment. This is a new term that I've heard only recently. It's called green sacrifice zones. If we kill enough of our environment, our pristine environment, we will save different places in the world. It doesn't work like that. And I said to him, so you're telling me you want to come here and, and expend millions and millions of litres of diesel in excavating machinery and haul trucks and crushing machinery to take this mineral out of the ground. Then you want to crush it and then you want to put it into trucks and you want to haul it to a port. When it gets to that port, you want to load it then into a ship and that ship is going to burn bunker oil, the dirtiest fuel we have, and you're going to ship that down to China. You're then, you're then going to send it into a factory that's powered by one of the 55 coal burning, the new 55 coal burning generating stations. Then you're going to take it from there as lithium carbonate and you're going to send it to a battery factory. You're going to make it into a battery and then you're going to ship it again across China to a car manufacturing plant, probably in Europe, Central Europe, to be put into a car. How is that green? To make a lithium battery, you still need to put cobalt into it. And cobalt comes from the Congo. And there are kids being carried at their mother's breast, newborns, while their mother is in a mine 
mining cobalt and they're called artisanal miners. And the reason these people are doing this is because they're dirt poor. Kids as young as six years of age are dying in these mines. So it doesn't matter how much we mine here, we still need to go back to the Congo and places like the Congo to get cobalt. Mark Twain said, and it's a saying I will never forget, a mine is a hole in the ground with a liar standing at the top of it. Miners were known to be liars then and nothing has changed. I know for a fact that if anything starts in that hill, the EPA cannot be relied on. They're about as much use as a chimney on a cat. In fact, they're about as much use as a chocolate chimney on a cat because I've spoken to people who've worked in mines up and down the country and they've all said the same thing to me. We were able to hoodwink them and lead them around by the nose. Stuff was done under the, under the noses of the EPA and their um, inspectors turned a blind eye or worse again, were so inept they didn't know what they were looking at. We are internationally recognised for being ones who can look at a rule and figure out an Irish answer to that rule. Why is it that communities have, and people like me in my community, have to take time out of our lives to start fighting this to protect our area? We have a right to live in peace and without fear. I have a community up there and everyone is biting their lip wondering what's going to happen next. I take phone calls every day from concerned members of my community asking me and the same question, have you heard anything, any update, any news? Because they are worried about it. They're worried about their farms. They're worried about their families. They're worried about their crops. They're worried about their water. They're worried about the biodiversity. The last people to be considered will be the people in my community. Everything is interconnected, as Anthony points out. The birds and the bees, the butterflies, moths, frogs, foxes, badgers, barn owls, buzzards, the endangered pearl mussels and the red squirrels. They all depend on us, and we, though we rarely acknowledge it, depend on them. Whether we like it or not, we are part of nature, not some superior being apart from it. The Wicklow Way, an internationally recognised walk. The ancient monuments. The wedge tombs. They're not much good as tourism attractions if the environment has been destroyed. If the narrow Irish roads are filled with trucks hauling ore and spewing fumes and the inevitable relentless dust. I've travelled the roads of Minas Gerais, the mining capital of Brazil. The trucks are everywhere and the dust is everywhere. I watched from the high ground and saw the dust rise in giant clouds from the mining activities and spread as a haze over the town of Congainas. We had spent the day in Congainas and had not noticed the fine dust laden with heavy metals. That's not unusual. Pat Gagan from Ashkeaton in County Limerick told me about how though he didn't see the red dust, he often felt something brush his face. How he would walk his fields with black wellingtons and by the end of the walk they would be red. It was the red dust from the red mud, from the processing of alumna, from the soft mud-like bauxite rock. Lithium is the metal thereafter in Wicklow and as Anthony indicates, speculators are doing everything they can to inflate its price. 
and he did get someone to talk to. Anthony was told that the reason the state wants to mine lithium in Wicklow is to save the inner city children from car fumes and save the children in poor countries who would otherwise be forced to mine lithium if the good people of Wicklow were not willing to do their bit for global justice and equality. What is so disheartening is the absolute dishonesty by which the Irish state is selling mining. If we truly want to help inner cities, we get rid of cars entirely. We get people walking and cycling and make sure that there is excellent public transport and amenities to get our green transition. We will be doubling the amount of mining globally in the next 50 years. There will be no reduction anywhere. There will be massive increases everywhere. It's already happening in Côte d'Ivoire. Communities are being met by gunfire from AK-47s as they protest against lithium mining. We are only told they are prospecting, but they keep destroying our lands, one farmer in the village said. They destroy your farm produce and pay you what they want. For a long time, the great reserves of lithium in the Bolivian highlands were out of reach. Now, new innovations mean that Bolivian indigenous communities will suffer the same fate as their neighbours in Chile. Already devastated by gold mining, the indigenous people of Bolivia must now face more of their sacred mountains being destroyed. This simply adds to the environmental devastation Bolivia is facing in order that Western Europeans can drive electric vehicles and the US citizens can do the green transition and the Chinese can build the lithium batteries. The area of forest cleared in Bolivia surged by an astonishing 32% in 2022 for Andean cultures. Nature is not a means to human ends, Maria Orozzi Hernandez writes. Highland groups recognise mountains not as a set of inert rocks, but as ancestral guardians called Ashachilas in Aymara and Epos in Quechua. Each Andean community praises a nearby mountain whom they believe protects and oversees their lives. This is a wisdom much deeper than AI or Western technical hubris will ever reach. The Salar de Atacama in Chile is one of the driest places on earth. Massive lithium mining processes there consume 65% of local water every year, draining reserves destabilizing ecosystems. In the US, 79% of lithium sits within 35 miles of indigenous lands. One mining company making 250 million a year from its operations on indigenous lands is legally obligated to pay the six indigenous communities whose land it is mining $250,000 in total. That's 100 of 1% of the wealth it is extracting. There's plans to mine lithium in the Tucker Pass, Nevada, USA, 
land of the northern Paiute and western Shoshan indigenous communities. For 16 million years, storms, wind and water have shaped this place. Max Wilbert, co-author of Bright Green Lies, states, Pronghorn hooves and pygmy rabbits have left footprints. Burrowing owls have protected their nests. Golden eagles have circled above the silent expanse. Lahontan cutthroat trout have flicked in the creeks. Its darkness and clean air is a haven for millions of pollinators. Into this haven, they plan to burn thousands of gallons of diesel every day, spread tons of sulfur and pollute 1.5 billion gallons of water every year irrevocably damaging the groundwater and the whole ecology. The greedy mining fever for this white gold lithium is wild. In Argentina, indigenous communities have been marching in 2023, demanding the suspension of lithium mining projects in their region. In the Kola Peninsula in the Arctic, a massive lithium mining project by Russia will devastate indigenous peoples and nature. The Sami of the Arctic must again sacrifice their culture, their lands, their livelihoods, their health, so that the rich teenagers can vape and scoot, and their rich parents can buy two-ton SUVs and monster pickup trucks, so that they can pick up groceries, 40% of which they'll throw away. Once again, we, the Sami, will be forced by a company owned by the Swedish state to give up land, culture, Sami place names, traditions and future in the area where our ancestors have lived since ancient times. Karen Carford Nisha, a representative of the Sami people states, the Sami, the only recognized indigenous people in the European Union, is expected to carry the burden of the demand for the green minerals by the EU politicians and industry. Like the Sami in Sweden, the communities in Wicklow, in Portugal, in Côte d'Ivoire, the indigenous people of the Andes, Bolivia and the Arctic, they must carry the burden for the greed transition. They have been selected as green sacrifice zones so that the affluent of the global north can live so-called sustainable lives as they vape on their disposable vapes, scoot around in their e-scooters and zip into town in their electric cars. The demand for lithium is beyond voracious and devouring. No nook or cranny in nature will be left untouched in the relentless search for more, more and more as the greed transition devours what is left of our shared ecosystems. Consider this. There has been a 2,539% increase in lithium mining since 1970. By 2040, all the lithium mined in 2021 will only meet one month's demand, even with the supply from recycled batteries. In 2019, the global lithium-ion battery market was valued at $36.7 billion. By 2027, it's projected to grow to more than 
$129 billion. 800 to 1000 degrees Celsius heat is needed to produce lithium. Such heat is only viable using fossil fuels. Most lithium batteries are manufactured in China where coal is greatly used. Between 3 and 16 tonnes of CO2 are caused while making a Tesla Model 3 80kWh lithium-ion battery. Such batteries can waste over 100,000 litres of water during manufacture. To produce one tonne of lithium requires over 1.9 million litres of water. In hard rock mining, for every tonne of mined lithium, 15 tonnes of CO2 are emitted. They said the operation will be completely safe, said Lisa Stroop, who worked in a lithium hydroxide plant. Having worked with lithium, I can tell you there's nothing safe about it. Lithium-ion battery explosions are now the third leading cause of fires in New York. And these fires are incredibly destructive and extraordinarily difficult to put out. In 2022, Australia recycled 10% of its lithium-ion battery waste. It's estimated that the spent lithium batteries will grow to between 100,000 and 188,000 tonnes in Australia alone by 2036. In the UK, almost 20,000 tonnes of batteries are sent to landfill annually. There are about 1 billion used batteries in US homes, sitting in old laptops and mobile phones. And with the creed transition, these numbers will explode literally in dumps. Globally, the recycling of cobalt and lithium is less than 5%. Batteries are one of the most dangerous items to leave in a landfill. The thin metal exterior of the battery will decompose within 100 years, exposing the heavy metals inside, which will never decompose and are toxic to the environment. Top-graded lithium found in mines today are just about 2 to 2.5% lithium oxide, whereas in all batteries the concentration is 4 to 5 times greater. So why don't we recycle more? Greed. Speculation. More money to be made more quickly through mining the hills of Whitlow and the plains of Salar de Atacama. A large electric SUV or pickup can be just as damaging to the environment as a small petrol car. Studies show that if we reduce car dependency and ownership and invest more in public transport, we can lower the demand for lithium by 92% by 2050. Everything is connected, particularly in mining. If we mine more lithium for batteries, we must also mine more cobalt, which is mainly found in the Congo. More people have been killed in connection with mining cobalt and coltan in the Congo than for any other event since the Second World War. Cobalt mining is an apocalyptic and deliberate legacy of Western mining imperialism. Throughout history, 
when leaders emerged in poor countries who wanted fair working conditions and fair prices for their materials and minerals. They got tortured and killed, just like Patrice Lumumba, who tried to get fair working conditions in the Congo. This is not a flaw in the global mining system. It is a key feature, and we think we can ignore these harms because they happen in poor countries to poor people. Not so anymore. Those who harm poor people also harm the environment, and the environment is reaching multiple tipping points of harm wherever there is injustice to humans. You will also find injustice to animals, injustice to the environment, and to these injustices they multiply. They begin to affect not just local environments and conditions, but the global environment too. The global north can no longer localise its harms by exporting or outsourcing them. For centuries, cobalt was used to create fabulous blue glass and ceramic glazes. Now, it's a key ingredient in batteries. There has been a 369% increase in cobalt mining since 1970. Right now, about 70% of the mined cobalt comes from the Congo in Africa. Children as young as four, pregnant women, women with babies on their backs, mine this cobalt. Cobalt is highly toxic to breed and touch the people. Land and water is poisoned. To say to Anthony McNulty that Whitlaw is making a sacrifice so as to save the children is just so cynical. The more lithium mining that happens, the more cobalt mining that happens. And why? For those monstrous vapes. It can cost up to $10 to properly dispose of one vape. On average, each one contains about 0.15 grams of lithium. In the UK alone, about 1.3 million vapes, 22 football pitches full, are thrown away every single week. That's 10 tonnes of lithium a year, enough to power 1,200 electric vehicles. In the US, about 3 million vapes are thrown away every single week. Every single week. Of course, recycling should be a last resort. It is definitely not the solution. We must reduce consumption, reduce energy use, reduce material use, reduce waste. However, recycling can play a part. And right now, many of our sexiest, coolest products are deliberately, deliberately designed so that they cannot be easily repaired or easily recycled. For fashion, convenience, planned obsolescence and greed reasons. Take Apple's iPods. They are deliberately designed to be practically impossible to repair. Deliberately. How cool is that apple? How green is that apple? The true and total cost to the earth and the environment is deliberately not calculated in the growth debt cult that is our modern economies. There is no such thing as green or clean energy. All energy is dirty and polluting from the filthy coal to the less filthy wind and solar and electric vehicles. 
Antony tells the story of the full life cycle journey of lithium, where millions of litres of diesel will be used to extract it and transport it to ports, where millions of litres more of filthy, absolutely horrendous bunker oil slag will be used to transport it to China, where it will be processed using the energy of coal-fired plants and then shipped using more diesel to a car company in Germany, where it will be labelled green. This is a con. It's a con. The greed transition is a con. It's truly hard to be an environmental protector. It's a struggle to protect the environment against the Irish state and the mining companies. A state that for 50 years has put development and growth before everything else. A state that did indeed represent the wishes of many of the Irish people. We were desperate for development and progress and wanted to race away from our impoverished past, no matter what the cost to the environment. The struggle is etched in Eddie Mitchell's stoic voice. Eddie is a farmer from North Leitrim and a member of the Love Leitrim Community Group. After a long campaign, Love Leitrim, along with many other groups, successfully fought Big Isle and the Irish state and won a legislative ban on fracking in Ireland in 2017. Eddie continues to campaign for a ban in Northern Ireland and internationally and against frack gas imports. He has become a powerful and articulate advocate for his local environment. So back in October of 2021, um, we were made aware that there was an intention to grant prospective licenses in North Neutrum. We were very lucky to find out at all. We only ended up with a couple of days to make submissions. We, we got about 5,000 submissions made in a very short time, you know. Because we'd been involved in the fracking campaign for years, um, we already had got to know campaigners that were fighting gold mining in Greencastle. So we were kind of aware of um, the gold mining campaigns. But we weren't aware that we... Um, had the potential for gold mining in, in, in North Leitrim. A large campaign has, has reignited. I suppose the anti-fracking campaign has sort of come back now to, 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 to fight gold mining. Our objections were ignored. And in April of, of last year, the minister, Eamon Ryan, decided to grant the license as he had intended. There are 47 townlands to the north and to the west of Minor Hamilton, a, a very large area that is now given away to um, Flintridge Resources so that they can search for, for gold. There would never have been a discussion that we can find, at least, in the Dáil about gold mining. What we've done as a campaign is we've looked at our county development plan. We made a submission asking that the use of cyanide and mercury be banned in, in Leitrim. We know that there's a, a very high risk of harm to groundwater and to drinking water from, from the use of, of cyanide and mercury. We wanted the, the council not to grant any planning permissions for anything that was associated or could lead to the use of cyanide and mercury. That ban has been put into Leitrim County Council. That's going to be in our final draft for the county development plan. So that's now been repeated now in Donegal. Um, it's in the process of being repeated in Sligo and it's already in that same process in Clare. We're sort of um, trying to create a, a ban at the local level. So while the, the government is ignoring and trying to pretend that gold mining 
doesn't exist, doesn't want to discuss it. And we're trying to create that discussion by coming from it at the local level. What happens with gold mining is so that all of this rock has to be um, crushed and, and, you know, kind of made into a kind of almost like a powder, you know. But what happens is that they use the cyanide and mer or mercury and they wash that through the, the powder and it absorbs the gold and then the gold then can be removed from it. The area now in North Leitrim, all of the water from that area flows into the Bonnet, which flows into Loch Gill, which becomes drinking water for Manor Hamilton and Sligo Town. This is why the council took the decision that they wouldn't grant planning permission for anything that could lead to creating a risk to that drinking water. When, when we looked to see why, you know, we needed to go after gold, we can, couldn't find a basis for it. Like the, the government hasn't said why it wants to um, develop gold. They seem to be um, trying to bring these, you know, to be open for business, really, for gold mining and for all sorts of mining. So there's, there's a race on in this country to try and find everything that's under the ground and to try and what it looks like to try and, and commercialize it and um, put it into private hands. In the north, they need farmers' permission to access land for prospecting. But in the south, that's not the case now. So they, they've changed the, the law in relation to access to land that if a company is prospecting in the south and they want to access land and if, and if a farmer objects and says that he doesn't want them to get onto his land, it seems that under the new 2017 Act, the company here can apply to the High Court for an injunction to get access to that land. Some people have been talking to the state about that and they've been very um, nervous about that themselves. They're not happy that we know this. It's quite a serious um, breach of our our rights, you know, to private property and stuff, you know. It means that if this community try to stop prospecting, so at the moment we'd say lots of farmers have um, put signs on their gates to say no access for mineral prospecting, but it seems that our right to prevent that access has been um, uh, damaged by that 2017 Act, uh, which is a recent Act, which hasn't been um, commenced yet, but which is, is due to be commenced at, at any time. So we don't even have the same rights as they have in the North um, to block prospecting. And, and many areas, I'm sure, are, are being prospected in, like, like this area was since 2014, without anybody knowing. Our experience with the company here has been that they've been prospecting and they've been entering people's land without permission. Like we don't really know of anybody that has been approached and asked for access. What happens is um, the company comes in and if they're found on the land, they'll say, oh, we tried to find you and um, we just, we just, we, we couldn't find you, but now we're here. They have to come this year um, to Leitrim to try and operate. And um, this community will have to um, prevent access. So we're going to find out if the High Court is going to um, force access in Leitrim. Well, I suppose we had this idea before of, of silent policy. There's definitely a policy that supports mining. And within that policy, that, you know, there's a, a policy support um, the mining of precious metals like gold and silver. But that, that policy hasn't been discussed, you know. So there isn't really a, a, a political mandate. Like show me a, a political party that says, you know, we support gold mining. As far as we know, it doesn't exist. Um, even the Green Party, and we have a Green Minister now over this department, um, campaigned against gold mining um, before he went into government. This policy, while it exists, it, it has no, um, there's no foundation to it. So there's no, there's no debate. The discussion on this has been avoided. 
and why it doesn't make a lot of sense why but a, a lot of very important policy is decided I think outside of the state this isn't something that was decided by the Irish government this is something that was facilitated by the Irish government I think that it's a campaign that definitely can be won because nobody can make an argument for this. There's only things to be lost by trying to process over in an environment like Ireland. The people in Leitrim won't stand for it. We've already organised ourselves to stop fracking. In a way, I worry that this could be another test for us in that if the government could establish an extractive industry in Leitrim, then those people that work in that industry, then that they could look to get um, access to um, um, future gas resources again, so that the next time the government tries to come after the gas here, that there be a, an established community that would want to extract and continue to extract because they'd already been extracting gold. We, we did have a lot of interaction with the EPA around fracking, so we do know a little bit about the EPA. And our concern at the time was that they were going to be used uh, as a champion for the fracking industry. Our concern was with when the EPA carried out research into the effects of fracking was that the EPA were led by policy. They don't decide policy. And when government sets a policy, then they try to facilitate that policy. If the EPA were involved here, um, we know that they would be here to facilitate the coal mining industry. What we learned fighting fracking was that the only protection is comes from the from the people. If people aren't willing to get out and stop bad things from happening, then those those things will will happen. When we eventually went down to Rossport to speak to the people, to the community down there, where Shell um, was trying to bring a pipeline through their community, they described the actions of government at the time in that the government had ceded that area to Shell. In a way, that sort of happened here with with fracking, in that a, a government basically allowed you know, the fossil fuel industry to have this part of, of Ireland. You know, they were going to um, facilitate the extraction of gas here. And it was like a ceding of our sovereignty. But the people of Leitrim, they ex exerted their own sovereignty. So they, they, they said, no, you know, you can't make this decision in secret. You can't decide that you're going to do this to us without any process. And we are going to have our say. So sovereignty is something that comes from people like our democracy comes from people at the end of the day so sometimes we have to exert that sovereignty something like fracking was an opportunity to do that to show that the people still count it you know and and gold mining is like that it's a it's a mad idea that needs to be prevented and it's an opportunity for the people to show that the sovereignty is there and it's real and that and it's and, and this is a great little country because we can do that here i mean i wouldn't be if we were in south america I'd be long dead. <laughs> there wouldn't be a trace of me for a long time. And lots of people like me in Leitrim, you know. We do run this country, you know what I mean? We, we might say that we don't know who's running it. But in fact, when it comes down to it, if you try to do something harmful in the west of Ireland, the people will not accept it, you know. And that's a great thing to be able to say. It's really hard because everybody is just working so hard just to try to stay to pay bills, you know. Like... When we, when we took on the challenge on fracking, it took six years. We nearly lost everything at the, at, at, you know, in order to, in order to take time to do that, we nearly lost everything because we weren't able to pay our bills. The, the effort that, that, that these fights take, you, you can't, um, comp you can't continue with life as normal and run and work and work and run and fight at the same time. It's really hard in the world that we live in now to try and 
pay your bills and do your work and change everything at the same time. There is a huge price to be paid for challenging. And, and that's probably why we only challenge the really bad stuff. You know, we'll, we'll challenge the gold mining because it's, you know, there's no future here with gold mining and we stopped fracking. But all the stuff that you're talking about, Jerry, that's normal stuff, you know, change everything about the way we live our lives. We have to do that. That's harder because we can avoid it. You know what I mean? We can we can continue to live like like, you know, the way that, and it's only a short time that we've started to consume like we do, you know. Maybe the, the that change is probably going to be it's going to have to come from young people. We're farming in Leitrim and we're intensively farming, you know, and we're we're also under threat from forestry. Like even this gold mining is it's it's another climate action. So it's going to be considered as precious metals for a, a renewable future. You know, that's the that's not the, the truth, but it's the PR, you know, and the same with Sitka Spruce here in Leitrim. They want to plant everything. And the idea is that they want to grow trees, even though there's no biodiversity or no carbon sequestration because they're planting Sitka Spruce on peat land, you know. So all of these changes that we have to make, they seem to be providing opportunities for more exploitation rather than actually changing for, you know, positive change. If you're going to go up against a, a government-led objective, the only way that, that you can succeed is if you have everybody in your community. Like when I, when I look at Northern Ireland, we banned fracking in 2017 in the South, and most of the activism happened in Northern Ireland, and um, still fracking hasn't been banned in the North. And the reason why it's so hard to make progress in the north is because you have so much polarization in, in politics. The one thing that we did before when we were able to stop fracking here was we didn't allow the community to be divided. So the company came and spent money in the community. And our reaction to that um, was not to attack those people. The strategy is to divide. And it doesn't have to be the company that does it. The Goni Nine were hung. It was it it wasn't Shell that hung them. It was their own people that hung them. You know, for Shell, you know, you're doing something right when people are starting to threaten you. We got involved in writing a, a resolution for the UN on a global ban on fracking. So I'm working with people in America and Mexico and Germany and different parts of the world on a on a global ban. So the higher you go, the more corporate interests play a role. But still, at the end of the day, our TDs need to get elected into the doll in order to be able to do all these things you know so when you have a good enough campaign that you can you can block them as soon as you try to to live within your own resources it's really hard like because the, the other stuff was so easy you know it's yeah. easy to get a bag of coal it's easy to suck the power out of the grid you know it's, it's really hard to do to do it the other way you know but it's time that we started to actually stop making excuses for not doing stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, if everybody took, if it, like the people of Leitrim were threatened by fracking and anybody that's threatened by fracking will get very serious and, you know, they'll fight for their lives. But we should be fighting for our lives um, without being threatened by fracking or gold mining. You know, we should be fighting for climate and for biodiversity. And we're, we're not, you know what I mean? We're, we don't feel the, people don't feel it, you know? Yeah, we're struggling. Like, I mean, and it's not bad to be able to struggle for this stuff. You know what I mean? In the final episode of After the Gold Rush, we'll be talking about solutions with environmental economist Caroline White. Caroline will talk about the need to reduce energy consumption by at least 40%, as well as the need for community activism. Certainly, 
as lovely Trump and others have shown, a key to success is to organise early and organise widely. Lovely Trump started an initiative to get local councils to ban the use of cyanide and mercury. A single gram of mercury, for example, is enough to make fish in a 20 hectare area inedible. In the last episode, Emma Caron mentioned how Claire had taken up this initiative. As Eddie points out, Donegal and Sligo are also following. It is sad to say, but it is the only way that the people within the green sacrifice zones are the ones who will save themselves. They must act. They must get organised and get organised as early as possible. For anyone interested, join Communities Against the Injustice of Mining, CAME. You'll find them at camenetwork.org. They are a wonderful organisation and give great moral and practical support. The people of Leitrim exerted their own sovereignty, Eddie said. That made the hairs tingle on the back of my neck. I was born on a small farm in North Longford, next door to Leitrim. Small rural counties are often neglected and ignored. It's a great feeling to know that the good people of Leitrim stood up against the mighty fracking industry, the Irish state and the EPA and won. The good people of Leitrim are good ancestors. A while back, I read an article by an indigenous leader from North America who said that he wanted the Irish to return to their indigenous roots that the Irish were a people who had great respect for nature, a great love of nature. We have lost our way. We can find it again and bear witness for nature. And we can be good ancestors again. It's our choice. I asked Danilo Antonio Campos da Silva, an indigenous leader from Minas Gerais, Brazil, what he considered as an indigenous person to be. Here is his answer. A person of resistance who walks between two worlds, the world of the colonizer and the original world, a world that they work to get back. It's like a body that suffered lots of wounds, but it still exists. A world where there's no difference between groups, but each group has its culture and they can live again in harmony with the environment. It's the opposite of capitalism. It's trying to live in a more sustainable way, in harmony with nature. Eddie Mitchell and the lovely True Community Group are people of resistance. If I were in South America, I'd be long dead, Eddie said. I'm editing these interviews in Mariana, in the state of Minas Gerais, in the country of Brazil. My wife, an educator, Rosilda is Brazilian. In Brazil, the military long ago replaced communists as the number one enemy with environmentalists. I watched a military leader talk with a colonial Christian cross behind him, full of conspiracy and threatening language towards environmental protectors. The fascist and genocidal Bolsonaro filled his cabinet with military tough guys 
and sent the clear signal that it was time to finally finish the job and wipe the Yanomami and other indigenous people off the face of the earth so that the minerals and other resources could be more easily ripped out of the Amazon. Like Africa and Asia, South America still bleeds from the deep wounds of Western imperialism. Mining has always been a key objective of the imperialists and the country elites that grow rich of facilitating them to extract as much minerals and wealth as possible from the global south at the lowest possible cost and ship it back to Europe, the United States and now China. That's the objective. The global south has suffered hundreds of years of environmental devastation to feed the decadence of Europeans. And Europeans now like to lecture the global south on environmental best practice. The mining oligarchs of today are the direct ancestors of the imperialists. Everything has come full circle. Modern imperialism began with companies such as East India Company. So it is no surprise that it has returned to the imperialist multinationals greedily destabilising political structures so as to ensure the continued supply of cheap, raw materials. The massacre and genocide of indigenous people and any people who oppose mining and logging and industrial farming has never stopped. In fact, it's getting worse. 2021 was the deadliest year ever and South America, encouraged by the success of Bolsonaro and others led the way. In Mexico, they kill those who work to save butterflies. In Nicaragua, they kill indigenous people working in nature reserves. In Colombia, they kill park rangers. In Costa Rica, they kill indigenous land activists. In Brazil, a special police agent told me that until Lula was re-elected, Genocide was the not-so-secret Bolsonaro plan for the Yanomami, Guagajara and other indigenous communities. Meanwhile, Amazon miners were offering 100 grams of gold to anyone who killed Maria Luisa Munderuka, a defender of clean air, clean soil, clean water, who dared stand up to them. As Eddie said earlier, the Agoni Nine, peacefully protested the opening of a shell pipeline may have been executed by the Nigerian government. But we all know how good Western imperialists have become at pulling the strings and tightening the noose behind the scenes. The earth has become sick because of imperialism and colonialism. If we don't change the system, the sickness will get greater. We must dream of less conquest and more care for what we have and where we live. It's really hard because everybody is working so hard just to pay the bills, Eddie says. And the pain is there. And yet, Eddie finishes on a stoic and determined note. Yeah, we're struggling, he says. And it's not bad to be able to struggle for this stuff. You know what I mean? I asked Danilo, the indigenous leader, from Minister Ayas at one stage, what he saw in his future, he replied with one word, resistance. Pat and Nula Gagan, who we meet 
In the next episode, our people of resistance. They've been struggling stoically and resisting Okinishalumna since the 1990s, seeking clean air, clean soil, clean water. Geraldine Ward knows what Eddie means. She is a woman of resistance. She and our local community in Monaghan have stood up against big mining and the Irish state and resisted. We'll hear from her too in the next episode. It's not easy. There are brave and determined people doing it though. And there are more of them every day. Join the movement. Join CAME. CAMENetwork.org Thanks for listening to After the Gold Rush, a podcast series about how rural Ireland has been selected as a green sacrifice zone by the global mining industry and what local communities can do about it. Please get active and spread the word. For more episodes, visit afterthegoldrushpodcast.com.